Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? You can advertise your band, a new album, your company, a service you provide, or just yourself, and it will be heard around the world, and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. Email me at Conversations with Dwyer, and we could begin discussing how to get your advertisement up on an episode or multiple episodes of Conversations with Dwyer. Again, email me at Conversations with Dwyer at gmail.com. And remember, that ad will be heard around the world. Now, how about we enjoy this latest episode of Conversations with Dwyer? Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Over You. It's from the album Reason to Live. And that is by the great Lou Barlow, who is my guest today. And uh, I wouldn't be lying, or I would be lying if I said this wasn't an honor. Whatever that statement is, however that's supposed to go, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, I'm very excited to have Lou Barlow on the show. This is a really great conversation. I did not expect it to go to a lot of the places it went, which is, of course, the goal of this show is to uh, sort of discover things along the way and go into different avenues of conversation and subjects that, uh, you know, I can leave it open. Though I do a mountain of research, I try to throw it away and see where we go. And today would be a perfect example of how this show it's my sort of my dream show and Lou is great very funny and of course uh, a favorite of mine and uh, you know Sebado was a big big part of my life so is Lou Barlow Uh, so it's a great conversation and uh, just so you know like there's links in the show notes Uh, the album will be out May 28th on Joyful Noise Uh, the links to buy that are in the show notes and you can and you should buy it and all things Lou Barlow are in the show notes. Uh, and you, but as I was saying, you should buy it because uh, he's got a family and streaming don't pay shit. So man's got to pay his bills, as do I. And speaking of which, you uh, go to the show notes as well. Is there's all links to all things Matt Dwyer. I have a Patreon account. If you you could you could listen to Lou and I talk, or you could go to the Patreon and watch Lou and I talk. And it has bonus material, as does there's the audio bonus material also in the uh, Patreon, so you don't have to look at us if you don't want to. But a lot of my episodes have bonus material. I did interview Kid Congo a few weeks ago. We talked for so long, it was two hours long. Uh, so the second hour is solely on Patreon. So you could get lots of bonus material, videos, blogs. I do a podcast solely on my Patreon where I talk to comedians about music, and there's one with Johnny Pepperton, who's in a bunch of TV shows and movies. And uh, I don't know if you heard that really loud truck that just went by. Anyway, uh, we talk about uh, uh, rock steady music and Jamaica. And it's a really, he's a, Johnny's a dictionary of information. Uh, so, and if you, if you can't become a Patreon subscriber, but you want to help the show, just tell people about this podcast. And that would mean a lot to me. And if you're a fan of Lou, if you've if you're first time around, you should check out some of my older episodes. Uh, I've talked to uh, Wayne Kramer from the MC5, Tim Presley, Harmar Superstar, Leah Wellbaum from Sloth Rust. Uh, man, it, it just go to you. Can go to my 
Instagram, Conversations with Dwyer, and you could just scroll through that, get a quick look at who's been on the show and who's coming on the show. I've had a wild, I just, I'm really proud of my back library. So please, please do that. And uh, <laughs> I guess that's it. Uh, I guess we should get to the conversation. Oh, yeah. And if you become a Patreon subscriber, by the way, you get a pin. The logo is created by Charlene Yee. You get a pin of it for free if you want. It's up to you. I message you and say, hey, do you want one? And if you say, yeah, I throw it in the mail. Uh, okay, that being said, here is uh, this is a really great conversation. I'm really proud. Please buy the album, May 28th, Reason to Live. Out on Polly, 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 Joyful Noise. And uh, enjoy my conversation with Lou Barlow. I knew everything about you. Love your Paw Patrol cover. Oh, thanks. I just, I just got a, I just got the, 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 the vinyl in the mail, like just literally moments before speaking. Oh, you. I didn't know you were gonna release it on vinyl. Well, it was part of a the subscriber series thing that I did. The recording of it anyway like I was you know I did the recording because I was you know like every month I had to come up with a different theme and then it would do these like sort of very limited edition releases to these people that subscribe so I did like a it was sort of a children's music thing so I did the Paw Patrol thing and then I did something called Top Wing and uh it's Top Wing Rock, Top Wing is <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you all about it. Well, I have a five-year-old, so that's how. You've got a five-year-old. Oh well, great. Well, Top Wing should be you know, should be in your is, it, it should be in your uh, your your arsenal of things to keep you. If you if you like me are okay with like sitting your kid in front of a TV for an hour or two or more, give yourself a little bit of breathing room. I I suggest Top Wing. It's a it's a little team of birds that live on a tropical island. <laughs> I don't know why. And, Making me yeah. laugh so much, and they have, and of course, like most teams of of, of there's, this, uh, it's been a theme, you know, for a long time now with these kids shows. It's like a team of animals that saves other animals. <laughs> <laughs> this is a team of birds that saves other birds, and they, and they're kind of like the air force. That's it's like an air force training. So it's like not, you know, like top wing, you know, like. Top, Tom, yeah. Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer or whoever. I wonder if that was word for word the pitch to the Hollywood executives. <laughs> yeah, probably. I thought Top Wing, because there's, there's some show with airplanes where they deliver packages and there's like... Oh, yeah. What's that one? I, I know what you're talking about. It's like Jet something. Yes, I've been through that one, too. <laughs> that one's crazy. That one's like, we need to deliver like a teddy bear to Mongolia. Fire up the jet. <laughs> Like that one just like leaves me like speechless and I'm like, but it's kind of cool. Cause then when they get to Mongolia, it's like, they sort of make an attempt to, to make it sort of culturally accurate. You know, the music in that one is there's some of them that the music just fades into the background and some are like nails on a chalkboard and that the music in that one drives me insane. Oh yeah. I, 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 I can't even consider whether it drives me insane or not. I just accept it. <laughs> I just, I just accept it, and I go like, and I think about the guy, the people that made the music. You know, I go like, wow, what a good gig! What a good gig to make up a forty-five, you know, one minute, forty-five second song, 
and then just absolutely sit back and the money rolls right in. I've wondered wow. that about how there's so many big houses in LA. And so I'm, I'm just like, is that just a guy who wrote one theme song for a, a sitcom and now he's fucking loaded? Absolutely. Without a, <laughs> without a doubt. Cause yep. I think I used to like Adam Sandler would do so many just half baked songs on SNL. And I was like, Oh, he was just going, this is like $8,000 a week. Oh God. Or whatever. That's true. It's true because then you're whatever it's syndicated and it's just piling up. Yeah. Oh, that's, I think absolutely. it's BMI for, for that show. I actually reached out once to a guy. There was a show called, Oh God. I hate trying to think on the spot, but uh, it was a pretty good Nickelodeon show. Pretty good cartoon. Oh God, God damn it. I've got to remember it. But anyway, I really kind of liked the music in it. I thought it was really clever. Oh, wow. Wow. Wubsy. This is a little while ago. Like I've actually been watching kids shows for 16 years now because I've, I have a, I have a four year old now. My oldest is 16. So my oldest was, was a kid. That's when the beginning of like kind of a golden age of Nickelodeon, like uh, uh backyardigans and, wonder pets and all these which are amazing too that's other things wonder pets is incredible you should if you want to go back and the music is all done by uh john lurie's brother oh really yeah it's really good that's a no that's not it i'm sorry backyardigans is his brother does the music for that and then but actually wonder pets everyone is like a is, is like a like a um opera and it's Anyway, it, these are these are kind of brilliant shows, but the, actually, Wonder Pets was the original. That was one of the original pets saving pets. So <laughs> to like bring it all back around, Wonder Pets really set the whole thing. And then now, like yes, Top Wing is the. They live on an island and they save other they save other birds. So if you, they, I would I recommend it. It's got a pretty catchy theme song that I covered. <laughs> I, it's weird because I've uh, obviously I followed John Lurie's career because I this, I don't know if you know this or not, but my podcast was the reason part of the reason his show got sold to HBO. But that's whatever. No way. Yeah, he did the show and he like sent me clips of it before we talked, and I so I no thought way. he was I thought he was coming on to plug it. And oh, that's awesome. He hadn't sold it, and he told me that within five minutes, and I was like, oh. So I oh, sent wow. it to a friend of mine, and they worked together and sold it. I've, I've yet to see it, but I've actually read, I read an article about it. My, my older kids, my 16-year-old and my 11-year-old love it, and they keep telling me i got to see it, but I'm like, it's on fucking HBO, and I, gotta, I don't want to... I can't buy more TV. <laughs> 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 I'm ending up, like, I swear to God, it's like... <laughs> I spent four times the amount of just like fucking like, like oh God, I got to get the next goddamn, you know, I got to get the next season of fucking uh, Paw Patrol or my five-year-old going to lose her fucking mind. So I, I can't, and then I end up spending like tons of money. It's just like, it's just, anyway, I, but anyway, my kids were telling me about that show. And then we, I actually went back and tried, I watched a, I, what I did watch was an old uh, episode of Fishing with John, which I had never seen. And then, uh, then I would, that got me, then it just, they all kind of dovetailed with this whole, I'm on this, somebody put me on this Facebook group called No Wave. So it's all about this, like, you know, like it's centers on like late seventies art rock, of which of course he was a big part of that. So that's really cool. I mean, and, the, and I've actually watched a, like a lounge lizard, lounge lizard show on YouTube, which I was like, I never I knew about them when they were happening, but I was never, it was never really my cup of tea or whatever, but 
but I watched it anyway. I was like, God, this is cool. You know, <laughs> lounge lizards were cool. Yeah. I like a lot of his, I like the lounge lizards a lot, but I like a, like Marvin Pontiac and some of it, what the John Lurie ensemble or I can't remember orchestra or something after the, after lounge lizards music, I really dig. It's, it's a right, lot. Right. I don't know that one, that stuff too much, but I, all the stuff that sort of, sort of associated with that the stuff that sort of was adjacent to that music there was a lot of really kind of amazing atonal art rock <laughs> it wasn't even art rock it was just like this total deconstruction of you know like teenage jesus and the jerks the contortions or i mean sonic youth is pretty, it's pretty much where sonic youth came out of that scene the swans anyway i've always had kind of a fascination with that with that era of music and that particular I do I do too I talked to Ann Magnuson about that era a little bit too on the podcast and it's just such a unique and I I, Lurie's got a book coming out about it which I'm really and he says he said pretty much everyone's going to be pissed off at him so I'm really curious to what is in that book (laughs) that's good well that's in the spirit of that time too because I you know, the, the bitch, it's very bitchy. <laughs> bitch, <laughs> bitch, it's like the bitchiest music you could possibly find. Really. Yeah. I think a lot of people too, it's like the, like Basquiat got really like people really just globbed onto him. And I guess that film now I can't think of the, who the director is, but I guess that's where maybe they have a lot of the people from that scene have issue with the Basquiat film because it doesn't, um, it's not an accurate representation. Yeah. Well, that's tough to do. I imagine. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Sonic Youth, which was cu- curious to me because you and Kid Congo both said the, a similar thing about bands that of being fans of a band without you with seeing them, but not hearing them, but seeing them first. And I always, that's like fascinating to me. Like what strikes you visually about a band before you hear them that you're like, I don't know what this is, but I'm a fan of it. <laughs> Cause that doesn't ha- that can't, I don't think that could happen today or would as much as like, because that's like, you know, you would hear things through the grapevine back in that de- those days. Right. Yeah, I, I was more like I read about things. Actually, I was really, I was really, in, I was really inspired by rock, rock writing. You know, I would read, I would read about music and then buy it, you know, like, like I was actually, that guy Byron Coley was, I, I had a, there was a, there was a magazine called, to further connect it to what we're talking about, there was a magazine called The New York Rocker. And it was actually, it was a paper, it was almost like a newspaper. I think it was a weekly, maybe bi-weekly, I'm not sure. But for some reason it was available in my small town, probably just because I'm, you know, I grew up in like within a three hour radius of New York. So that probably was it, but it was like, happened to be sold there and I bought it. It was the New York Rocker and it was all just reviews of shows in New York. And then in the back, there was reviews of like seven inches and, you know, you know, punk rock and new wave. This would be 1980, you know, or so. And so I read a description of Sonic, Sonic Youth and I was like, and Glenn Branca, the descriptions I read of that music were what fascinated me. I'm just like, oh my God, that sounds amazing. Cause it was like, you know, these are, they play with, they play with screwdrivers and their guitars and they, tune, they don't, and they don't play chords, you know, and it's all untraditional. And it was just the way that it was laid out to me was that it was untraditional and not actually, I was pretty young, I guess, really to think about it. I mean, if I was like 12 or 13, and that just seemed really appealing to me. I'm like, wow, I want music that is not like sports. You know, I want, I want something really cool. was like sports to me. It was like music, the way that music was presented to me, you know, as you know, and when I was a young kid, 
you know, when Eddie Van Halen was on the rise and stuff like I didn't, I mean, of course I liked, you know, I liked hard rock and all that stuff, but it was like the way that it was presented to you was that you had to be some sort of an athlete on an instrument in order to create. And I just, I found that very defeating. <laughs> <from a> very <laughs> <different> <laughs> I was like, God, is this something else I have to be like, you know, supernaturally talented at in order to be a part of. And I just, so when I, when I started to read about, these bands that were coming at it from a totally different and non-traditional way, it seemed really inspiring. But. Yeah. I think we're about the same age cause I'm 52 and I remember that like, I don't know, like you, I felt like you were just given, this is like where I grew up outside of Chicago. It was like, here, this is what you listen to. It was almost like you were a prisoner and somebody was tossing you gruel. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> but it was like, I, I, and like, I guess I liked it, but I was like, I don't know. Nothing ever like resonated with me and, uh, and my ting angst and the many punches I was taking as a kid. Right, right, right. <laughs> what was there? What were some of the things that like really, like, I don't know. I find that fascinating to read about something and then be drawn to it. What, what was it like when you started hearing stuff like that? Well, I, I think I was kind of lucky because I'm, I'm two years older than you. So I'm, I'm 54. So actually 1980, I mean, I remember this. I was in middle school, my last, like whatever, eighth grade middle school. And they used to play the pop radio during lunch, you know. So there was a local radio station like Wacky 102, Top 40. <laughs> but what was on that, what was on, what Top 40 radio was composed of in 1980 is insane when I think about it now because my son is he's 11 and he just he's really embracing rap like he's really into rap so I was like oh we should listen to the first I'll I'll, I'll play for you the very first rap song I ever heard and it's rapper's delight you know it's like just and it was a hit and it was on pop radio and it was a hit and it was a fucking rap song <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm like, ah, and I'm like, wow, I'm remembering that. It's like, and not only that, it was like that, Whip It by Devo, Money by the Flying Lizards, and then stuff like, you know, uh, I Can't Fight This Feeling Anymore by REO Speedwagon, but all of this shit together, like all of it at the same time, one after the other, and and that was pop radio. It was actually very chaotic then. Like pop radio in 1980 was like a total collision of like new wave, disco, you know, album-oriented rock that was breaking out like Sticks and fucking Ario Speedwagon, Journey. You know, <laughs> and then also, then also shit like the Ohio Players, like all of this funk that was still hanging around, and the Commodores, and like so. This was like pop radio was truly kind of off the wall in 1980. And when I was listening to Rapper's Delight with my kid, and I'm just going like, wow, this was like. This is the beginning. I'm like, I mean, the big, I mean, the, to, to think of that as like, I mean, of course, people, you know, we'd love to go back and like trace things years and years, decades and decades before they happened and say, this is where it started. But fuck, Rapper's Delight in 1980 or whatever, why was a big deal? And then right after that, it was like The Message by Grandmaster Flash. And The Message is based on a sample from a New York no wave band, like a fucking New York arty fucking dudes with glasses and button down shirts called liquid liquid who fucking had a song uh 
Wow. Okay, anyway, the whole the whole song is based the the, the, the whole song is based on like something. It's that is a fucking New York art band of a bunch of guys look like like look like John Lurie, you know. <laughs> and that's what it is, and that's what the first some of the first rap records were based on were people just cross pollinating within that scene, you know, and it's fascinating. It's yeah. Fascinating. That- did Big Audio Dynamite steal that sample? Or I, I don't know if you could steal a sample, but whatever. Well, they, they could back then. Well, back then, like, you could sample more freely. But, yeah, Big Audio Dynamite did a bunch of stuff. I don't. I wasn't a huge fan of them. I was a little too cool for Big Audio Dynamite. <laughs> 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 it, it happened a little bit later. They were a little bit more, like, 85, 86 or something. But. I, I liked it when I was younger. I've said younger like I'm young still. But... Uh, uh, then I revisited thinking like, oh, I fucking love Big Audio Dynamite. I was like, mm, not, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I would be, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I liked the, I did actually like the Clash. It's funny. And I didn't really like, I didn't like the punk rock Clash. I kind of liked the Clash when they got into like more, when they were being more influenced by urban stuff. And, yeah, that was more my, my, more my Clash is what I <laughs> And I like strummers. I like strummers solo stuff a lot. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really go down that one that road. How did your son react to rappers' delight? Because it's like rap is so drastically different now. He liked it. You know, I've been. Yeah, we're. I don't know. We have this ongoing conversation, and we have a. We're building a playlist on Spotify: the Father and Son playlist. And, uh, yeah, he tries to turn me on to the newer stuff and I'm always like, eh, you know I mean? It's like, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I'm not like super judgmental about it. It's just that, that I don't think it's catchy. That's my, <laughs> really, I'm just like, that's not catchy. I mean, I'm like, that's all, that's all I come, all it comes down to. Like, I do like certain things that I do like, um, oh God, I can't remember the names. <laughs> They're all dead. Like that's the other thing too. Is my son's like, here's this song. I'm like, this is pretty good. He's dead. I'm like, oh god. Like I just this guy Juice World. Juice World's pretty good. I like Juice World. He's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Like every single person that this kid mentions to me is dead. And then it's and then he kind of knows the details of how he died. And I'm like, oh, what a bummer. But uh, but I've been playing in Wu Tang. Like old dirty bastard. I played. I played my kids. Fuck the police by N.W.A. And they were like, "What?" They were like, "I mean, even as profane as rap is right now, they were like, fuck the police.' Blew them away. And I was like, I was like, this was a really big deal. I mean, like, N.W.A. was like a super. Like, it was an incredibly catchy, a total game changer. So I played him that. I played him N.W.A. And then my son, I was never into Biggie Smalls. I never understood Biggie Smalls. And this is, I mean, we're talking about, I'm just, I'm going off on a tangent just because this is, this has been, this has been my internal conversation. <laughs> my internal conversation. Like my son was playing me Biggie Smalls. He's playing me this late, this Biggie Smalls. And I'm like, where he's talking about how rich he is and how great, you know, he came up from this and he's now he's like, you know, buying houses for his mom or whatever. He's the lyrics. I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, like I've never disliked Biggie Smalls, but I only, the only Biggie Smalls I know is of him talking about his success. So I was talking to my son and I'm just like, well, what did he, how did he get successful? You can't get successful just by singing about how successful. <laughs> can you? I'm like, can you? I mean, LL Cool J 
got successful because he's he's saying i mean these really beautiful like wonderfully poignant raps about his day-to-day life you know that helped ll cool j got big i mean but i was like biggie smalls i'm like well how did he get big i mean did he so my son you know he was like he figured out where the first one of his first records was and he played this song off of one of the early biggie smalls records called uh um give me the loot and it was it's insane i was like I was like, right away, I was like, oh, now I understand. I understand why this man was so well regarded. And I now, I mean, I understand how incredibly talented he was because I just, I just, it's not that I didn't know or didn't believe it. It's just that I, I had yet to hear anything that, that would give me any clue to what his, to his rise or anything or why people were so passionate about him. He played me this song, Give Me the Loot, which is like, I, it is like, one of the most like sort of visceral, incredibly well, I mean, like such a amazing performance. It's like he and this guy having this, it's almost like a play. It's like a four minute, like piece of theater. It's, I was just so blown away by it. And the samples were so good and his voice was so present and, uh, and his voice sounded very, it was just very, it was like lightning too. Just like, Whoa, I would, Anyway, so that, that I was able to, my son turned me on to a really small one. And one that actually kind of gave me an anxiety attack when I was listening to it. I was like, my God, this is so real. It, it just felt like, because it's about robbery. It's about sort of the, it's about, you know, two guys talking about robbery. I mean, and it's just so real and so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like 20 years behind on rap. Whatever's like, whatever's going yeah, on now, I'm still like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I should probably get into Biggie Smalls, but I still like, you know, I'll, I don't, I, don't, I can't think of check anything. Out Give me the loot. If you feel like, if you, you know, go, go check out, give me the loot. Cause that song, I mean, I'm almost afraid to hear the other songs he did at that same time because it's so goddamn powerful. I'm like, I'm like, Whoa. yeah. I, my wife is more hip to rap, but I don't know. Around the house, it's mostly just music, so we don't have anxiety attacks. So we just play like a lot of <laughs> like twenties, thirties jazz or forties. Exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm trying not to drink tequila to get through my parenting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I, it's, it, it's like when you're a parent, no one tells you how uh, fucking triggering it can be. Like my kids, like my, I have a one year old, or she's one in a month, and she just okay. like has this scream or this yell, and it like just riddles my body with anxiety, and you can't respond to a baby with anxiety. <laughs> no. You. I had no plan of like discussing parenting with you, but like, was that, I don't know, maybe you had a calm childhood, but mine, mine was, you know, mine was a fucking Irish novel. No, I had a lot of yelling in my, yeah. Is it working I, class? I, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, my dad, I mean, he, he sort of stepped up to a little bit of, um, he, he went into a management position when I was a little bit late, a little bit older, but, uh, no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, like my, my parents both grew up in households of like six or seven children and tiny houses in, in Dayton, Ohio. And then uh, my dad was the only member of his family actually moved. He, he, we moved to Michigan when I was younger. But anyway, uh, but we, I had a loud household. My dad was a yeller. And uh, 
Anyway, I don't know what's what's the point. That just my, my, my kids. You're talking about the kids, like kids triggering, it, like just like the. It's just you know, it's just we. I didn't mean to go there, but just the deep. Well, I don't know. My my wife kind of. My wife has a lot of. I mean, understandable sensory issues, and I don't. Like I I can like. I can be listening to music and have two kids talking to me at the same time. And I'm like, eh, you know, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, I kind of like chaos. You know, I, I sort of, I sort of like, uh, I don't mind it when there's a lot of things going on. And I really did, I guess with my kids, like I kind of enjoyed, I enjoy the chaotic aspects of younger kids. I said, I mean, maybe that that's, Maybe you're approaching parenting with like a music ear where you can hear like <laughs> maybe you're hearing something I'm not. Yeah, I'm like I'm listening to an amazing collage right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is really cool. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, you know, I, I you know, I could there could be something like it. I don't know. Your kids, I, but I, I, yeah. Yeah. Go Your ahead. kids sound hip. Like you if watching John Lurie. I, I mean I would say most eleven and sixteen year olds don't even know who the fuck John Lurie is. That's, that's I mean, they're from my previous they that's my ex wife's work. She she doesn't she generally shows the kids whatever she's watching. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. I mean she she was she was showing the, my son like uh Shaun of the Dead when he was like four and five years old. Oh I mean, my. She, yeah, my dad did that. I watched The Deer Hunter when I was like 10 or 12 or something. And I'm just like, I watched it twice. <laughs> yeah, that really fucked me up. My did you see it young? Parents, yeah, I did. And I really, I think I saw it when I was 11 or 12. And uh, my, we used to, <laughs> it's kind of funny. My parents, and they're like this now. I didn't ever realize, grow. I never grew up realizing this about them at all. You know, like I didn't know, but they were kind of like, they were a little loose with it as far as what we, uh, what they exposed us to, but we used to go to the, like the drive-in theater, you know, we lived in Michigan and this is the early seventies, you know, early seventies, which was kind of an interesting time in film. If you think about it, there was a lot of really, really intense films in the early seventies, <laughs> you know, Bonnie and Clyde. There was, I mean, there was a lot of like, you know, just intense kind of gritty dramas. And, but we, like, we went to see lady sings the blues when I was a very young kid, like in the back of the station wagon, you know, and Lady Sings the Blues was like, I think it was Diana Ross, like playing Billie Holiday and she dies of a drug. I saw the great Gatsby, you know, which ended with a guy and like a gunshot. And there was only one movie, one movie. They, we, we went to see some movie called like year of the tiger or something. It was this Jack Lemmon film. And the opening scenes were so violent that my parents actually pulled out of the the drive-in theater, but we generally used, <laughs> used to hang, <laughs> used to hang out from all the, and that was, yeah, it was a lot of, you know, but even God fucking Willy Wonka, seeing Willy Wonka in a theater when I was like six, it was fucking traumatic, man. Yeah. My, like in hindsight, I'm thinking about it. It's like my dad watched like Bonnie and Clyde. We want, I mean, it was edited for television, not the deer hunter, but we also like my Fort Apache, the Bronx, which is like a really, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking There's a scene where like a, a sex worker street prostitute like cuts is given a cop head and cuts his throat and i'm like i saw that in the theater as a fucking child yeah <laughs> no wonder why i had a problem with drugs <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah, i never I, 
anyway, yeah. So. Do you, is it, is it odd to ask you that, did that inform you creatively at all seeing that those films? I feel like it it affected me, and I mean, I definitely the way I watch film. I I think my dad gave me a unnecessary film education. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, that stuff was I. Um, I don't know. I mean, I definitely I, I have to say, like, I didn't really drop. I had a real sense of the extreme when it comes to music and and images until I had kids. To be honest, I mean. Once I had kids, I, I really I have I have an extremely hard time seeing any depictions of death or torture or anything like that. But you know, and then also even with the music that I listen to, like I don't, you know, I can't I can't really listen to things. I mean, I used to really like you know industrial music and tons of noise and and uh, would listen to just things. You know, I, I mean, you know, I was really into like listening to like um, Brenda Lee followed with like Einstein's end and Neubauten and just like fucking I like I just like extremes of everything extreme and I loved like you know early like slasher flicks and all that stuff but all that st- I can't I can't I can't stomach any of that I mean since I had a kid I mean I just I can't do it so much yeah i'm I'm the same way um unless it's like you know like goodfellas which i've seen fifty thousand times but like anything death oriented or especially with kids do you do you think that has affected you creatively at all to that sort of yeah actually i've i've like lately yeah lately now too even just with music i've just i'm kind of like i have i feel i feel like i have to I feel like I'm, I want to understand more what generosity means, <laughs> even though, you know, I mean, of course we think, I think I know what generosity means, but I'm thinking more like in a creative way. I'm just like, what, how do you, how can you be like creatively generous, but also very, you know, but also be realistic, you know, and also like, you know, be honest, you know, because I think honesty to me always was like, honesty is like, it's tough, you know, it's like where you really, you describe all of the, the difficulties and the, the heartbreak and this and this, and that's, that's what you do. That's what honest, that's what generosity in music is, is, is the sort of honesty. And now I'm not so sure. Now I'm just sort of I'm thinking like, you know, maybe it's more about, you know, a lifeline, you know, maybe it's more, I don't know. It's funny. Cause like when I hadn't really listened to, I'm, I'm sort of been, been caught up in this, you know, this John Prine, like people have always talked about John Prine and I never really listened to him. Um, not for any particular reason. I just never had listened to him until recently. Mostly I think because of the streaming services, it makes all of these things available to you when you think about them now, which is great. But I was listening to his music and I'm like, what incredibly generous music this man made. <laughs> like, whoa, these, these lyrics are so generous. They're unflinchingly real, but they're also very generous and very kind. And I'm like, that's, you know, so that's kind of something. Uh, my thoughts about that are evolving to the point that I probably should stop talking about. It. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't really articulate. I'm, I'm getting into the zone of not being art, being able. No, to but it's fascinating because I've never thought about that, and I. Prine has always been, especially being a guy from Chicago, he, it was a name I always heard about and friends loved him, but I never, until he died, I was like, oh, maybe I should listen to this guy. And, yeah. and but to think of generosity and kindness as truth is an interesting concept because 
I come from a world where that truth is like, gotta be fucked. Tell the truth, man. And it's going to hurt. And it's, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's like Sorry. macho. Cause I'm I re- ripping off the bandaid. Here it goes. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Yeah. There was a teacher that a lot of like a create, like a theater teacher that everybody in Chicago was like the guru. And he was this gruff, tough truth teller and it was like and i was always like this guy probably did a lot of fucking damage by because some people are frail (laughs) and afraid to open themselves up and this guy would be like that's bullshit and it's like good you just shut somebody down for life you you really fucked in my opinion you you fucked up right right interesting yeah i'm yeah my thoughts about that stuff are are, are changing i don't know yeah Do, do, do you feel that that uh was a part of your recent album or was was this post? Yeah, I do. I, I do actually think it was. I do. Yeah. To tie it into, <laughs> tie it into my most recent release, which I think is all of this. Was it, has this been a, something you've been sort of processing for longer than that or? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I will, I guess, you know, I mean, to sort of put it into, I think, you know, the whole thing, I don't really want to talk about politics too much just because I, I just don't like to, but I, well, we haven't had much of it. (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like there was, there was a real, there was a real reintroduction, like there was a real introduction of like the concept of cruelty into our day to day life that started, let's say five years ago. (laughs) No. I don't know why who <laughs> was a wild guess. I don't know why this was, but people started to really, really reintroduce the idea that like cruelty is like some sort of solution to something, you know, where, and where people are, well, you gotta be, you know, you, I mean, there's always that people just really want to default to that. They're, they're aching to default to the idea that, you know, it's just like, it's like, you know, growing up in the, you know, as I did in the sixties and seventies, it's like, yeah, you know, you fucking, you know, you don't necessarily like beat your kids, but you know, damn, that was always like, you know, being grabbed and thrown around smacked was like, not, it was just like a day to day thing, you know, and because it's like, it gets results, you know? And, but I think what we realized was that it doesn't really get results and it doesn't really, I mean, like, and this is shit that's just scientifically proven. This is shit. That's like, it's not just like, you know, people, people kind of work started to cruelty was not, was starting to be, was, you know, has the reason that people started to like talk about eliminating cruelty in our lives is because it's not efficient and it doesn't, it doesn't really work, you know, and it's not, it's not really something that like, you know, it has, it has a, there's a lot to be said for not being cruel. Let's just put it that way. It's very puritanical. Yeah, it's very puritanical and it's like, and it's not, anyway, so, but there was just this reintroduction of this, this concept, these cruel, like just cruel thinking, cruel language. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm not a particularly like politically correct person. I'm not like a particular, but I just, I do, I'm just, when it comes to like cruelty, I've just seen it too much. I've seen, I've got too many friends with too many fucking problems and I'm not that they have too many problems. I'm just saying that I've seen people with problems and people who've struggled and, you know, and it's not because everybody was nice to them, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't because they, they grew up in, in kind and receptive. It's, it's because they grew up, you know, anyway, but I just, 
I, I just, this sort of reemergence of this idea of the, or I don't know, it's not reemergence. It's always around, but it, anyway, I just, this last few years, I've just found, uh, I just, I guess I, rather than this sort of unflinching, you know, realistic view of things, I'm like, you know, I got to start fucking, I got to, I got to start thinking about lifelines and, and, uh, and support and, and love. I mean, in like in a real way, you know, and, and that's, you know, love has to find its way as my, as I grow and as I, if I can, you know, and writing songs and stuff, I've kind of figure out a way to like, you know, talk about that and, and to, and to express it and, and to, and, you know, and to, and also to eliminate the way that I speak to myself about, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm always continually amazed at how much anger I carry around with myself. You know, I've always, I've, I've been shocked by that the last five years and especially this last year, like really realizing how much, how much, uh, anger that I just naturally carried around with myself that I thought was acceptable and that, and I'm like, I have, I have to deal with that stuff. And I have to actually, I have to, I have to learn how to like change my inner dialogue and change the way I talk to myself. And, and of course, by changing the way that I talk to myself, that's going to change the way I write songs because my songs are very much part of my inner or my inner dialogue, basically. They're my mantras in my inner dialogue. So, so in that way, yes, things have changed. Things are changing and they are, it is, you know, I would consider the way that I've written my last couple of records and the way that I approach songwriting is changing too. Do you know where that inner anger comes from? Can you pinpoint where that, what that's from, or is it just a culmination of wonderful life experiences? Well, you know, I, yeah, I think, um, well, I really started to realize that how much like growing up in the seventies, the late sixties and seventies, how much anxiety that I grew up with and how I really did feel, I felt like, like I actually had to face a lot of paranoia in this last year, like where I was really like, I really realized how much paranoia I have. And I real I like in the seventies, like I very much like I was scared to death, like, like 1970, you know, I'm like four years old. I was born in 66. So, you know, when I was coming into consciousness, like f four or five years old, this is like 1970, 71. Those are like really fucked up times. I mean, like people, you know, until the, I mean, cities were on fire. Like I lived in, I lived in Jackson, Michigan, you know, which is 90 miles from Detroit. Like Detroit was on fire and like, and I knew that. And I was afraid of like hippies. Like if I saw, I mean, I lived across the street from a high school and if some fucking kid with like long hair was walking around, I thought they were going to kill me. I'm like, I, cause it was like Charles Manson was in the news all the time. I mean, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Hippies will kill you. That was like a big message. Hippies will kill you. And if the hippies won't kill you, then, then like whatever, the, the black Panthers are going to kill you and all this other shit. It's like, it was like, it was a very deeply anxious time, you know, like really. And I kind of grew up, I grew up with that anxiety and, you know, and I grew up being bussed all over my fucking town, my, you know, for my whole, I went to like five or six, I mean, I lived in the same place and went to like six or seven different elementary school, I mean, elementary and middle schools because I was bussed around and, um, 
there was a lot of tension even in the, within the city, the small town that I lived in, there was a lot of tension there and all this. And I think, I don't know if I'd really, I don't just this last year has really given me, I've had to, I've had to stop running basically for the last year. I've always, I've been on the run my entire adult life. Like I tour all the time. I never sit in one place long enough to think about what I'm thinking about, you know? I mean, theoretically, I can think about, you know, that I'm, I'm theoretically, I'm very, I have all this like potential. I mean, I do all this self-reflection and it all finds its way into my songs and all this other shit. But I haven't been in, in stationary in one place. I mean, I just haven't been stuck in one place and stuck with my own brain for an entire year at all. And my whole, you know, almost my whole life, really. So I had to do, I had to fucking, I really had to pick through a lot of my paranoia, a lot of my anger, a lot of like... It's just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Are there other methods to, do you, other than songwriting that you use to sort of pick, to, to pick through that or? I've had, I just, I do, I'm just doing like all kinds of, I'm just doing like, like right now I'm reading this book called Chatter, which is about, it's this guy, this, this, uh, professor at, uh, U of M and Ann Arbor and, he studies he's he's his whole study is the is the is the, the voice in your head basically oh that's fascinating because i got too many of those yeah well. so i mean and i kind of also like i also i mean i i hesitate i don't i mean when it comes to something like self-help books or whatever like i i hesitate to talk about them because it's it's really is personal but it's like you know there is like there's a lot to be said about changing what you're what you're telling yourself you know, and the way that you talk to yourself. And I had like, I had kind of grown up in my whole adult life having like episodes of just episodes, you know, where I would just become, I would go from like speaking normally. And then if, if my thoughts started to take a certain train, I would be yelling. I would find myself screaming and yelling in the middle of, I mean, then, Someone just going like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and I just kind of took this as a. I've done that <laughs> where I'm like, like I'm screaming. Like, yeah, I've done it like I've walking it, down the you. street, and I'll just be like, like the the, the <laughs> thoughts will finally just come out the mouth, and I'll just be like, "I go fucking goddamn it!" Or something that looks like I'm crazy, Whoa. and maybe yeah. I am. <laughs> yeah, I this I had to actually face. I had to really, I've had to really, I had to sort of come to grips with the fact that I'm crazy. I'm a little bit crazy. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, uh, I guess I, who isn't? And I'm trying, you know, I, 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 I scare the shit out of everybody. Everybody that I've ever worked with is, has seen me go absolutely ballistic. And they all like, are like, what the hell? I mean, they don't get it at all. Like everybody, anyone that I've, I've worked with a lot of like, I've only had, I mean, I've, I've only had one other person that I work with once where we could actually have screaming fights, you know, which I always thought was like normal. I mean, that's cool. You know, what's wrong with the screaming fight? You know? <laughs> <laughs> really? I mean, it's like you, you get things done, you know, you, you, you get, you, you can come to, you know, it's like, you know, it's like fighting, you know, fighting with my, my wife or, you know, or, I mean, fights are necessary. I believe that fights are necessary. I think you do have to really, you know, sometimes you just got to really get raw with somebody. And, but um, I've had to, but 
and I've accepted that. Like, oh, that's that's me. That's I'm raw and I'm loud sometimes. But this, but now I'm just now I I realize that actually a lot of it is like maybe it's not necessary. <laughs> and, and maybe it's like maybe unless I maybe I need to actually really pick through this and figure out why the fuck I'm like screaming and yelling. Like, yeah, I think for and, me uh, it goes back to fear often. Like, I'm there's it's based in fear. I think and. Uh, I'm damaged. Yeah, that's well, that's what I, I guess that's why I was sort of mentioning. That, uh, I was trying. That's I guess why I was trying to trace it. I think I was in some awkward way trying to trace it back to like an environment of fear that I felt like I grew up in, and and a, a lack of control. And and if there was any, I mean, and then and this last year, of course, has been an absolute fucking tweak for that. You know, it's like, well, you don't have control, and you know, you, and like I'm going to have to like cause I used to get really bent out of shape about money and stuff. And, and, you know, and this, and this year it's just like, well, you can't fucking, I mean, if there was any time to have an absolute fucking breakdown about money, it's now. And I'm like, well, now is exactly the time that I can't do that. So I'm going to have to figure out how the fuck not to do that without drinking too much. And actually like I, what I've had to do is I realized like, I can't, it's not even just about drinking too much. It's actually that that actually makes it worse. It's about, I can't even fucking smoke pot anymore. It's like, I can't do that. It's like that. I thought that was a great, it's like, it's not, I can't do that either. Cause that actually brings, that actually creates the chatter that actually brings on all this fucking. I mean, so I've had to source sort through all of this fucking the way that I talk to myself and right now I'm reading this book chatter and, and it's fascinating. And it's, and it's about, it's about trying to change the way you talk to yourself. And it's fucking, it, and I also read a book about anxiety, you know, where someone was talking about anxiety, what you need to do. Cause if they're, they're making a lot of like, what would seem like very obvious breakthroughs as far as the way that our minds work, but they're not that obvious and you do need to know that. And, you know, and then like the most amazing thing about this chatter book is something that I've been suspecting for such a long time is that, you know, by talking about your problems, like when you like, when you have somebody that you're like, you know, I'm mad about this and then they did this to me and, you, and you're constantly retelling your story of, of your pain, then it actually doesn't help you. And, and the idea of talking therapy is kind of bullshit. Like it's kind of like, <laughs> The more that you talk about the things, I mean, people's people want to help you, so they listen, and they they the way that they feel like they help you is listening. But it's very rare that you can you can tell your whole story and tell your whole story of your trauma, and then have somebody give you, you know, have somebody be able to give you constructive advice because you actually don't even want to when you're on a roll and you're telling somebody how hurt you are, you don't even really want to take the time. You don't want somebody to go like, well, have you considered that maybe it's your <laughs> You know? Like, it's just such a... Uh, okay, yeah. I'm no, I've had therapists where I, I was like, I'm, and I'm not like patting myself on the back, but I was like, I'm smarter than you. Like, you're... I, if she had this, I had a therapist who had two fucking dogs in the room and she knitted, and I was like, I'm pretty sure this is a no-no. <laughs> Like I didn't study psychology, but I'm pretty sure Freud wasn't like sewing or building puzzles when he talked to people. <laughs> I've never, I've never gone to therapy, but I've been, I really, my relate. I mean, I guess like my primary relationships are where I go for my, 
my right now my wife and I we just we wake up every night at like 1 30 in the morning and we talk until three really almost every, single night, almost every every night we but both that's wake good. up yeah it is good I mean it's because we otherwise we got, we got kids everywhere and can't fucking talk but yeah and that's the thing it's like I don't want to put my crazy on my kids and being stuck with my kids for the last year like I've had some moments where I'm not proud, man. <laughs> I'm not proud. And I'm like, Oh shit, you're going to give her your mental disease. What your dad gave, what my dad gave me. I mean, like, I mean, on top of like living in an anxious culture as our, as kids, like then my dad was just like this, you know, pissed off dude. <laughs> it's like, it's like I, you know, and I've, I've, I would guess I calmed myself down a lot over the past couple of years. And I had, I quit, I had to quit drinking too. Cause I was like, this isn't helping. This is just making me anxious. I have not quit drinking. I just, I, I actually, I'm at least I, I can, I can control it. So. Oh, well, I, I do vodka shots in the morning. So <laughs> I've done that. I've been there, but I've, but I was like, I, I was anxious. I, yeah. So, yeah. and then when you're on the road, all, all hell, you know, it's like, well, I'll fucking have a beer on the plane. Why the fuck not? I, I found my way to like actually controlling. I found my way into like my sort of semi sobriety, which is kind of where I live. At. <laughs> I found that way in, by going on tour because I being on tour is actually where I'd stop drinking because I can't, I, I can't, I can't abide that kind of schedule and be hung over. Yeah, you know, I, I figured that out when I hit, I hit my forties. I was like, I can't, I can't be hungover on tour. It's like it's, it's so, it, it's, it's. I, I just couldn't do it. I don't know how the crew did it. <laughs> <laughs> but my tour, like, I was like, I would be somewhere for four or five days, so I would just drink and then sleep all day and then get up and do another. 20 like i was doing opening up for somebody doing comedy i toured with this guy i wasn't even that good he just wanted me with him right right <laughs> it's like right. i worked 30 20 30 minutes and then everything else was a dick off right 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 um yeah. i i i didn't <laughs> like i had all these things it's like we went which i like i prefer that we just went wherever but uh <laughs> Right, so I'm, college radio was an influence. <laughs> yes, it was. No, but I mean, like, I I don't know. College radio doesn't, uh, is it as much of a thing as it was when we were, like, that was like the, the source of music in, in our day. It was. I mean, I, that was, I mean, my life was changed when I moved from Michigan to Massachusetts because Massachusetts had, is loaded with colleges. And I, where I lived, where I lived in the little town that I grew, that I spent, you know, that I moved to when I was 12, there was, I mean, I'm, I'm not joking. There was like, there was at least a dozen college radio stations that were all free form and that were like free form in the most amazing sense. I mean, just, you know, so I, I grew up with, I mean, college radio changed my life. That's For great. Sure. Yeah. I listen, you can like most of those, I, I have a bunch of apps on my phone for community radio stations, like WWOZ in New Orleans and KXLU yeah. in LA. Like, and it's great. It's like, 
If you just randomly put something on it any time of the day, you don't know what the fuck you're going to get. I, listen to, I mean, California, I lived in LA for a while and they, for a long time, actually. And there wasn't really that much college radio, but KXLU fucking ruled. Yeah. Fucking station. I would just, I before like Shazam and shit, I would just call people. I'd call the station and be like, what was that? Because, you know, they play like. <laughs> you got to tell me what that is. If you don't fucking back announce this shit, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> I had it on speed dial because I'd be like, I had a shitty delivery job and I was like, I need to know what this is because this yeah. is the only joy in my life at that time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, how long did you live in LA? 17 years. 17. I've been here almost 20. Where do you live? Well, we don't, I don't live in LA anymore. I lived in Echo Park for a long time. I know you, cause, uh, I was, uh, Duncan Trussell was a good friend of mine or is. Oh, okay. And oh, right, I remember right. when he, he was like, Lou's going to do my podcast. And it was like the biggest thing for him. Yeah. And he lived, that's when he lived up near the uh, Ivanhoe school. He lived right near the elementary school my kid went to. Oh, went, I can't remember. I did his podcast a couple of times. He lived in a couple of different places. Yeah. It was a place he lived with, uh, uh, Natasha, Natasha, yeah, yeah. He lived. He lived around the corner from me, and we both we were both just newly heartbroken. And uh, we had a show. We ran at store, uh, not stories. Sea Level Records. Remember Sea Level Records in Echo Park? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did a monthly comedy show there. That was like just we'd get a keg of oh. beer and do a. It was more like we were trying to bring community together and all that. Right. Mostly right. just getting loaded, really, to be quite honest. <laughs> you never, did you ever go to the show or no? No, I, I didn't go. I had, I had kids like my first kid in uh, 2005 and then I just never went out. Cause I was, I'd be either be on tour or I'd be home. So I never, when I was home, I stayed, I stayed home and I, I was, my hours became, my hours became what they are now, which is like 5 a.m. to 10 p.m. Fuck, man. Eight o'clock hits and I just want to die. Like my, <laughs> my oldest kid goes to bed at eight and it's like if she, like she did last night, she kept getting up and I was just like, I just was trying to maintain my, I just wanted to fucking watch something. I just wanted to turn my brain off. <laughs> that is like my, I'm in my second, my, second marriage now my wife this is her our our five-year-old is our her first kid and you know she's she's still it's we're five years into it i'm already you know i'm 16 years into it parenthood but she's still five years into it and like man man people don't fucking know <laughs> you can't it's like you can't do what you want to fucking do <laughs> it's like really it makes you know it's a really it's you know, it's intense you know yeah you can't turn off it's like yeah turning off is like pretty fucking hard yeah and, and there's been nightmares lately so oh god for the, the kids or for the, the five-year-old she's been watching some fucking show there's like one thing that so she's like but she won't stop watching it even though well, it? it's something where all the grim fairy tale characters have kids or i don't know what the fuck it is but oh like the some monster marries i don't know the beast from beauty and the, I don't know what the fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I sort of know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't. Cause she's, so <laughs> she's been watching shit on an iPad. So she hasn't been fucking up our living room with the uh, Paw Patrol and the shitty music <laughs> to bring it full circle. <laughs> 
uh, real quick, just a big, uh, like uh, we should probably just plug your album since we've talked about everything but your album. <laughs> I, really, I kind of went off. I didn't really expect That's that. exactly what happens with my show, though. It's I try to go into different directions. I don't want to... I watch so many interviews of like... And it's just amazing to see how many people are like, so you're touring? It's like, yeah, they're touring. It's a, kind of an obvious given thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do have a record out. It's out. It's called Reason to Live. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got a, I got a box of them today. I got my box of the finished LP today. So. Were you doing uh, sleeves or something too, hand sleeves? Yeah, I did, because that was part of the series, the subscriber series, which most of the songs were, I mean, actually all the songs were made for this series that started in May of 2019, and it stretched until December 2020. So every quarter, you know, every three months, I would come up with new songs for this series. And then I just, at the end, I just took all of the songs that I had done and collected them to make the album. And I, I went in and remixed it and, you know, redid some things and stuff and kind of just made it into a, to what I thought was a solid LP. But and it's, it's a lot of the songs are in your, this is separate than Reason to Live, right? The collect the. Oh. No, no, those are the new songs. Like, so it's like, so basically from May, 2019, every month until December, 2022, I came up with a, I would come up with a different group of songs every month. Every third month I would do new songs. So those are those songs that I did every third month are, were are collected to make, to comprise this LP. Okay. Cause I know there's a, you know, there was only a few hundred subscribers. So I figured I could get away with them. Cause you did a cover on your Christmas or it didn't make it into the Christmas special, but you did a cover of an Elvis song from, I can't remember what movie it was from. And I didn't write it down cause I'm an idiot. There's that inner Girl, voice. Girl happy. It's the, oh, this <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's from, it's for, it was for our Easter thing. We, Oh, that's right. We just did our last, we did our last special for Easter and, and we did the song um, spring fever by Elvis. It's a and great cover. I'd really Thanks. loved it. I loved your Chris. I loved your holiday specials. I really enjoyed. I because I was it was like five in the morning the other day, and I was watching the Christmas special in, in the dark. And I'm like, it's April, and I'm watching a Christmas special. And <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> oh, good. It's good to know that they have a little bit of a shelf life. Uh, they'll be in the show notes, as will uh, uh, all. Inf- but the album comes out end of May, May twenty eighth. Yep. Something May like 20th. that. Yeah. Okay, I'll yep. put all that in the show notes and make sure. And I wanted to add, Ed, thank you for your time. You're welcome. I hope you, it wasn't <laughs> too brutal. <laughs> no, it's not at all. <laughs> the fact that I enjoy it. I knew everything about you. for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening